Yeah, there is. So, would you turn with me to Second Peter? I was having such a good time fellowshipping, and I was kind of swept away with that song. Were you guys swept away? Oh, what a gospel. What is, how does it go? I was already messing up that, those words. How's that go, Dre? By which I stand, man. What, is that a city light? Man, that's a sweet song. So um, let me pull up my sermon and do the things I have to do here. I was just having a good time fellowshipping, and my wife says, Honey, you got to preach. I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's right. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. Let's pray and ask God for his blessing this morning that you, our prayer as a church is that you would be filled up full with Christ every Lord's day. Father, we pray, we thank you for this gospel in which we stand. We are exploding, Lord, with joy and exuberance because of what Christ has done. If there are hurting Christians here, Christians who have soiled themselves because of sin, uh, Christians who have just been going through difficult times, I pray, Lord, that your mercy and your grace would embrace them today. As we heard in our sermons before, would grace and peace be multiplied to them? Multiplied to them today. We think of our loved ones who are not here, or maybe of sickness or in, in the nursery or other reasons. We pray for them. We pray that wholeness in Christ, rejuvenation in Christ, encouragement, edification in Christ would be there. We pray, Father, you would do your work. Amen. Second Peter 1, 5 through 11. I'm going to read the text. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, goodness, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. The topic or the main thrust of this sermon is about knowing that you're saved. Knowing that you're saved. It is what we would call the assurance of salvation. So doctrinally, God gives us the perseverance. We call this the perseverance of the saints. Which means that if you do come to Christ... He will allow you, give you strength, give you motivation, give you the resources to continue believing in Christ. And the flip side of this perseverance of salvation is this joyous, wondrous, all I could say is the sphere of love that we're in. And that's called the assurance of salvation. It's knowing that every single day I know where I stand in Christ. I know that I am right with Him. I know that I am walking with Him. I know that the sun is shining down on me through Him. It is the blessings of assurance. But, you know, quite honestly, quite frankly, not all Christians live in this Blessed assurance, this assurance of salvation. And I notice this sometimes when I come across folks in ministry and they're not taught the assurance of salvation. They're not taught how it can affect their lives. 
They're not taught of the blessing of salvation. Perhaps they're not taught about grace and peace and what the gospel really means. I recall, um, I used to, we used to teach a Bible study. I remember in our little, our first home that we bought, Jeanette and I, it was a little 800 square foot home. Can you believe it? It was an old, tiny old house, 800 square feet. We had no space, but we said, let's have a Bible study. And we just shoved people wherever we can. We put them on the stairs and wherever, right? We had a little old couch that her uncle gave her, which was, de- was decorated in like, like probably 80s contempo style. It was like this, we covered it, right? We just covered it because we didn't want to show it. But we were thankful for what we had and we gave what we had. And we had people come in and there was people who were, I remember Mike was there, Mike Bagalso, and he would be playing guitar for us. This was before he married his lovely bride, right? And it was a joyous time. We had our trials and our struggles, but we followed Christ. But there was one couple, I remember one couple, one guy in particular, I noticed he would come and there was an un, just like this, he was just unsure of all things. They just didn't have this joy. Like, I mean, I hang out with Mike and he's like, Christ save me, Christ save me. All right, yeah, that's right. But I would hang out with this guy and his name was Kenyon. He was my buddy. And I was grateful that Kenyon came to my uh, our Bible study. He would keep coming. And one time, Kenyon was just, I think the Lord was working in his heart. And he pulled me upstairs in our two-bedroom house, split level, uh, into my study, which would become a nursery, right? <laughs> I have to always give up a study, right? And he looked at me with serious eyes. And he's been coming for probably a year, a year and a half. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know if I'm saved, Angelo. I don't know. He was taught the gospel. He went to a Christian college. He professed Christ, and yet he just he just went through life just kind of school and then, I mean, work and then going home with no real joy, no real, no real vibrance. And you can tell. He was just there. And so I proceeded to share with him the gospel and what it means to be saved. And how you could know you're saved. Not because of what you have done or will do, but because of what Christ has done. I let him know what the gospel is, that God created us and we have sinned and we've been separated. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And if you trust in Christ, the Bible says by that faith alone you will be saved. And he still struggled with it. But later down the years, as he moved on to different Bible studies, we were in the same church there was this change in him. He was being discipled and he started serving in our children's ministry. And every time I saw him, every time I saw him, he was a different guy. And I asked him, what's going on? And he says, Jesus saved me and I love serving these kids. And uh, man, he loved it. He worked for the Oakland Raiders at the time and their marketing cl- uh, marketing department, but he wanted a career. And a lot of you guys know what happened. Uh, he became a CHP, served honorably, uh, and he would rush back to church, serve the kids. And one day, uh, he did a traffic stop. I remember this day. You remember? I remember this day. He walked to the side of the car and without any provocation, the guy turned around with a gun and shot him. And Kenyon died, I think, two days later. But I know he went home to be with the Lord. And I know that the days when he finally understood his assurance that those were days for him that were filled with joy 
loving Christ and serving Christ. And brothers and sisters, God does not want you to live miserable. Oh, I gotta go to Bible study lives. They ought to be full and wonderful and rich knowing what Christ has done. And so here's, here's the text. We come here and I, my whole heart and our whole heart is that you would live in this assurance. I think some of my brothers and sisters here at church, they're kind of shocked. Because when I see them, I say, hey, you know Christ died for you. And they're like, yeah, Angelo, I know that. I just I said, I want to remind you that. His word is given to you this morning so you would be assured and affirmed in your salvation in Christ. If you know Christ, you ought to be affirmed in it. Why? Because that is your birthright. Now, this assurance of salvation is part objective and part subjective. Okay? What's the objective part? The objective part is that you trust in Christ, He is your Savior. His work and his person, I do nothing to earn my salvation. The subjective part, we will talk about it. How do I know, how would I have a sense that I am the one who trusted in Christ? God himself gives you this assurance. Not just on top of the blessings and the magnificent promises, he says in verse 4 of divine power and all these things. But it's on top of that. Now I know, walking day by day, I am saved. I am a child of God. I have these promises. And whatever goes in my life, whatever comes in my life, I know that I have a Savior who will take me through. Is that not good news? Man, I think that's good news. So I don't, maybe you could have two preaching points. Here's my other preaching point. I don't want you to live a miserable life without assurance in Christ. If you don't know Christ, maybe today's the day. Today's the day I trust in Him. So how do you live this morning assured and affirmed in your salvation in Christ? Assured and affirmed. There are five questions you have to ask yourself. To settle your assurance of salvation, okay? Five questions. These are good questions to ask yourself. Number one, here's your first question. You have to really seriously ask yourself, looking at the mirror of God's word, are you giving all you got? Are you giving all you got? And this is speaking about effort, Now, if I preach this simply by itself, it could be easily misinterpreted. Angelo, you, you could come up to me and say, Angelo, you're works righteousness kind of dude. That's not the gospel. And I would agree with you. But this is effort exhibited in your Christian walk. You notice you have to, you cannot escape the terms. Okay? What's the terms say? Now, for this very reason, also applying, what does it say? All diligence in your faith. For this very reason. So, before I go on, I have to talk about this. This very reason, or because of this, or for this, it outlines the fact of salvation, that which was already received. It is this, that Peter is talking about, this whole thing that he already started in verses 1 to 4. The verse 1, he was a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That his whole life is transformed from a fisherman to a fisher of men. From a proud and arrogant man ready to fight to a humble man ready to win others to Christ. From a man on his mission to a man on the mission of Christ, sent as an apostle, an emissary of the Messiah. For the same reason of a faith that is the same as ours. It's the shared salvation. So Peter is talking with the groundwork of salvation. He doesn't just say, okay, now work hard. Do you understand? That's where a lot of churches confuse people. Where they say, go work hard, go work hard, go work hard. Without laying the foundation that I walk in grace and peace. 
That is not gospel. And sometimes churches do it inadvertently. They're not even planning on doing it. They're preaching, they're going along, and they don't stop and say, our people need to know we have grace. I can't get up without grace and peace. I can't live this life without being affirmed. Can you? For the reason of the gift of the righteousness of God and Savior. So Peter already is saying in verse 1, you have this righteousness, this gift that God has given you. He has poured it out abundantly. Verse 2, grace and peace multiplied to you. We already talked about that. The knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Lord, which we'll see later that this knowledge is given through His Word, which we have discernment and wisdom and growth. We'll see that later. Because he uses this term knowledge again. For the reason that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Every supply that we need to live this Christian life. To live it in a godly manner. To help with our depression. To help with our sadness. To help with our anger. To help with our bitterness. To help with our lust. To help with all of the sins that plague us. God says he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You have it all, Christian. He has called us by His own glory and excellence. And verse 4, He's granted to you precious and magnificent promises that you are a partaker of the divine nature and that you have escaped the corruption in the world by lust. And so Peter lays the groundwork and then he pivots to verse 5. Excuse me. Yes, verse Five, now for this very reason. Okay. The reader knows what you're talking about. You don't get to verse five without verses one to four. That's pretty self explanatory, right? So he's laid the gospel out. And I tell you, this is where Christians get tied up. Uh, some of you have told me some of your stories. Oh my goodness. I never knew that I could walk in grace. I never knew that I could know I'm saved. Not, and it's not an arrogant thing. It's not because I've done anything. It's because of what Christ has done. I never knew that. You cannot speak about the effort without the work Christ himself has done. You can't pursue Christ unless you know your position in Christ. Now, having said this, this is what, this is what occurs, okay? There are some churches that will teach. They will teach, you need to work, 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 and then there's no groundwork for the gospel, no groundwork for grace and peace. And so the, the folks are running on this hamster wheel thinking they're trying to please God, thinking that they need to get on that position to please God, this status to please God, and they never make it because in reality we are in this fallen world, correct? Correct. And we have this remnant of sin in our lives. And so they keep working and they keep working and they keep working. And they go to this verse and say, see, apply diligence. Well, what do I do? I'm, I'm having a hard time. Apply more diligence. Keep going hard. And the folks who keep going are the hypocrites who say, yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing, and they know what's going on. And it goes, the people who are real, they're saying, I can't, I can't catch up. I can't catch up. Then here's on the opposite end of the spectrum. We've got churches, probably like-minded in doctrine to us, who preach in the sovereign grace of God and his peace. They say, God is gracious. God gives you peace. Yet they don't preach, apply all diligence. And so, those churches are filled with folks who know there's, who maybe know doctrinally that they're saved, but they're doing nothing. And this is the biblical balance that Peter himself gives. Now I see all this. Now we are together, I hope. We're all together on this. We are to apply all diligence. The word for apply means to do one's best. 
to make every effort to try as hard as possible to try very hard the word all is of course inclusive of every or absolute so this relationship is easy to grasp because in verse 4 God has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness because of that you are to give all that you got That's what it means to apply all diligence. Sometimes when we we sing that Getty song, you guys ever ever look at the words of facing a task unfinished? Some of those are so stinging to me. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. Man, is there things left undone? for his kingdom in my character that I need to pursue. How about this line in the song? O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired. From cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errand send us to labor for thy sake. Um, I was talking to my wife. I was saying, I'm, I'm trying not to bring a lot of wrestling illustrations, but I'm sorry one's coming in right now. Okay, I apologize. We had a, uh, a kid with us, and I love the kids. I get to share the gospel, and whether they're believers or not, I could tell they're scared. It's a terrifying sport. Terrifying. Um. Ty was there yesterday, and he was like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe this stuff. This is legal, right? This is legal? With a question mark. We had, we had a, one, of our, one of our kids. He's, he's a boy, and he's very good, but he never placed. He never placed in a tournament. And this is like our big tournament to qualify. It's one of the qualifi- qualifiers for state. And he pinned the second seed guy. Uh, but before then, I looked at him, and I was just reading this text because it's affecting me. And I said to him, in a little way, just to show, I said, look, and I'm, we love you. Your team loves you. Your coaches love you. Your parents in the stands love you. Go out there and be brave for six minutes, just six minutes. Just be brave for six minutes. And he's facing this guy who's seated second, which means he's supposed to take second in the tournament. He sh- our guy should be destroyed. And um, Anastasia was there. Chinette was there. I think, Ty, you saw this one. Karis and Carlo, we were all cheering him on. And he turned the match around and pinned the second seed guy. And I don't, it was so emotional. We were all bawling. We were bawling, right? At, at a, a little match. It's just a game, right? We were bawling because we were affirming love to him. And brothers and sisters, that's just a little picture. Let me tell you of the love of Christ and the Father and the Spirit for you, where you can be brave. Do you understand? Your love is so affirmed, so confirmed, so assured His love for you in Christ, bought by His blood. Nothing's going to change. You can be brave for this short moment called your life. Amen? Now, these are probing questions. You answer them in your heart. Maybe write it down. Don't leer at your spouse while I ask these questions, okay? Don't look at your kids. Look at yourself, okay? You could talk about it later. Here's the question. Are you giving all that you got? Are you? For the glory of Christ. For his word. 
Are you giving all you got? Is there another area where you can give more of yourself to the Lord? Can you identify areas or pockets in your life where you can give more? Is there any area in your life where you can grow in submission to Christ rather than complaining rebellion? You know, when those words of mumbling start coming on your lips. Are you supplying maximum effort? Or are you supplying maximum effort to things that don't matter as much? Are you giving all you got? Secondly, are you changing where you need to? Are you changing where you need to? And this, the first speaks of effort. There must be effort exercised in your walks. We cannot be a slothful people. You cannot be slothful. You would know this even in your job. You cannot be slothful in your job. You cannot be slothful in your walk with Christ. Even married people who have been married for many, many years, they will tell you marriage is a lot of what? Work. You have to keep feeding this relationship. So in Christ, you must pour yourself in. So secondly, are you changing where you need to? This speaks of virtues. He says, in your faith, so then he's going to talk about all these Virtues in your faith supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self control, in your self control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. So now, he allows us to take a look at ourselves and he shows you a picture of what it means for a person who is assured of their salvation because they keep growing in these virtues. They keep growing in Christ-likeness. And so he first says moral excellence. This is an amazing word. This word moral excellence is, it's, it's used in classical Greek of excellence of character, of goodness, of virtue, of, of valor, of prowess. It's used of a moral heroism. In Greek literature, used of someone with divinely endowed ability to excel in heroic and courageous deeds. To be courageous. It's not a virtue in the abstract. It's actually supposed to be demonstrated in the living. To live a courageous life in Christ. Because he is giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He says in that moral excellence you provide knowledge. This word for knowledge is, this is God's truth as it is outlined in scripture that gives the source of discernment. I think I might have unplugged myself. Did I do that? Am I okay? All right. This is the knowledge that comes from having been enlightened by the Holy Spirit and now you understand the word of God. Notice in verse 16 he says, in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying, I'm not following stories. I'm not following myths. I don't risk my life for myths. Do you understand? Neither would you. This is what Peter is saying. I know I could probably be killed for this, but I am not risking my life for a lie. What are you risking your life for? He says in verse 19, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, in which you are well to do pay attention as a lamp shining. And so we know later on, he, this is what scripture is. And so what Peter is saying is, I am growing in this knowledge as I learn more about the Old Testament and as I inscripturate more of the, of the Bible as an apostle given by God, that now here I am growing in this discernment. I am growing in this knowledge. So as you grow, brothers and sisters, you grow in this courage to live this way because of what God has done. But you don't grow in this 
ambiguous Instagram Jesus where they know nothing about him. Where it's Jesus, enrapture me with your embrace. Embrace me with your rapture. What? Jesus, I feel you all around me. Okay, explain to me what do you mean by that. Well, I, it's just this feeling that I have Jesus and... What are you talking about? But now... This is the scriptures that teach upon who Christ is. That his love is not in some ambiguous cloud that you don't understand. This undefined blob of jello hanging on the wall. But it's actually a love that is direct, resolved, and definable by his blood on the cross for you. It is a truth that does not change with your feelings. Do you understand? This knowledge, he says, after this knowledge, adds self-control in verse 6. Self-control, brothers and sisters, we need to ask God for this. You need to be working on this by, by the power of Christ. This is a mastery of self. A mastery of self. The word means to hold one in. It's used in 1 Corinthians 9 of athletes, 9.27, who discipline themselves restrain themselves. They beat their own bodies into submission to win the prize. In the Greek games, just like now, I mean, you will watch athletes, they will eat the right things, they will do the right high-impact intensity training, they will have the right sets, they will pyramid the right sets for weightlifting, they will do functional exercise, they will do all of that. Okay? In the Greek games, the athletes would abstain from heavy foods. They would abstain from wine and sex to focus all on training. Later in chapters 2 and 3, this metaphor later for being an athlete is used to be disciplined to keep believing in Christ and living accordingly to match it. It's a self-control that is focused on Christ. I am not going to take on distractions. I am not going to take on things that's going to remove me from walking with Christ. I am going to stay right there. And in your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance is this ability. It's the word we've talked about it before. Hupomone means to be able to endure a patient endurance. It's a steadfastness. It's to remain strong in unwelcome toil and hardship. I need Jesus to keep me strong. I don't necessarily like this, but I know through him I could get through it. This is the power of Christ in you, brothers and sisters. This is some of the reasons you guys know this. This is the reasons why you're still here. Why you still walk with Christ. While you still bless his name. Under immense trial, you still bless his name. That is the power of Christ in you, brothers and sisters. It's the voluntary, in classic Greek it was used. It is the voluntary and daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the sake of honor and usefulness. I took uh, some of the young men in our in our church to a book called I think it was called Do Hard Things Do Hard Things Don't run from them brothers and sisters that is where where I am weak he is strong and Christ is pow- Christ's power is displayed in you don't run Parents, teach your kids to do hard things by doing hard things. Teach them. Teach them you can still trust in Christ and this is breaking my heart and Christ is going to take me through it. You teach them that. 
You let them see your tears and your prayers at the same time. You let them see Christ pick you up. Disciplers do that. Bible leaders do that. When your heart is breaking, let him. Let them see he heeds my call. In your perseverance, godliness, this is a, a reverence for God. In 1 Timothy 4, 8, it's disrespect. It's used for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things. Since it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. And then he adds, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. It's for fellow believers. It's not just saying, I love you on a dry and dusty text message, but it is affection for one another. For what are we if, but, if we just but come here and have a stoic relationship with one another? We are not the family of God. Peter says the one who is growing in assurance is one who is growing in brotherly affection. I don't care if you didn't grow up affectionate. Let Christ change you. Let him change you in your marriage. Let him change you as, your, as a father. Let him change you as a mother. I don't care. That's not what the Bible says. Well, unless you grew up in an unaffectionate, unaffectionate family. It doesn't say that. Well, Angelo, you don't know I came from a dysfunctional family. We all come from dysfunctional families. It's called sin. And I'm not trying to belittle your background or your childhood. I am just saying this, that the key, the way that God wants you to grow is to go towards affection and not away from it. This affection is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's an overflow of what Christ has done. I can't help it. He's so kind with me. I have to be kind to you. And of course it says, and in your brotherly kindness, which is the Philadelphia love, he says it's the agape love. Love for others, a sacrificial selfless love which comes from knowing that love comes from God and flows to others. Do you see how that works? When I am assured of God's love, I can love others, whether they return it or not. That's where you want to have, you want to have, have staying power in evangelism? You ever get, let's be frank, you ever get kind of tired of evangelizing because seems like everyone's just not listening to you and they just keep bagging on you and then as soon as you open your mouth about Christ all of a sudden your life in the office or your life at school gets worse <laughs> you want to know what your staying power is I tell you it's not going to be your sure determined will it's going to be knowing and being assured in the love of God and now I can do anything I can be brave I can love someone and give them the gospel. So here. So number one, are you giving all that you got? You got to give all you got. You have to be a people obsessed with Christ. Obsessed. Mediocrity is the enemy. Obsessed with Christ because he's given you everything. You've got to be a... You got to know that you have to change where you need to. You got to be... Am I growing in moral excellence, bravery to do what Christ calls me to do in his word? Am I growing in knowledge and submission to his word? Am I growing in mastery of myself and self-control? Am I growing in perseverance or am I a complaining quitter? Am I growing in godliness and reverence for God? Am I growing in affection and brotherly kindness? Am I growing in sacrificial agape love? For others, in short, are you changing where you need to? Thirdly, are you serious with your walk? 
I mean dead serious. Life and death. I'm not playing around. This is where my life is. And so there's, there's two paths here. And this is the ultimatum for a Christian. Okay? He gives this ultimatum. And here's the ultimatum. A fruitful life or a forgetful life? A fruitful life or a forgetful life? Notice he says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about these qualities which were the virtues that we talked about. Now he says, here's the ultimatum. Are you going to live fruitful or forgetful? This is the fruitful life. In the negative, we'll, t- we'll change it to the positive, okay? If they're yours and, you're gr- and it's growing, if this is the kind of person you are. Now, I know some people like this. Some of you are like this. Many of you are like this. Not just some. Many of you. I'd say most of you are like this. I want to say all of you are like this. Maybe because I, I don't have you in my HFG, so I don't see you every week. What do you mean like this? They, you are ones who have these qualities and they keep growing. In fact, you want to keep serving God. You want to keep growing in love. You want to keep growing in brotherly kindness. You see an opportunity, you jump at it. You keep going forward. You keep pressing forward. Pressure, 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 we would say, right? Always pressure forward, pressure forward, right? You don't want to be useless. Oh man, that's the saddest plight of a Christian. Useless is inactive or idle. Unfruitful really means to be barren and it's tied with this idea of apostasy and unbelief. I have this Asian citrus tree in my garden. It's called the Kalamansi. Can you say that? Everyone say that with me. Kalamansi. Come on, come on. You can say it, Ellie. Kalamansi. Mackenzie, did you say it? Oh, see, Mackenzie. Kalamansi. Okay, so, so Kalamansi, it's a small citrus fruit, about yay big. And I've had this tree for seven years. And mine only produced one Kalamansi. I hate this tree. I'm about to curse it. Like Jesus cursed the fig tree with no figs, right? I'm about to curse it. And Jeanette goes, give it one more chance. I'm like, no, 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 I hate this tree. It's not giving me my calamansi, right? I like a little squirt on my meat or my fish or whatever like that. It's barren. It's useless. And when Jeanette's not looking, it's going to go in the dump. <laughs> but I want to be a fruit. My mother-in-law's calamansi, however, in Vallejo, this thing is just, it's almost like an oak. Calamansi is raining from heaven. Oh man, calamansi juice? It's like hang to it? Oh man. Good, okay. Um, I don't know how I'm at. My mind got caught up with calamansi. But anyways, Having said that, I want to be a rich calamansi tree. That's what I want to be. Don't you? Don't you want to be like in Psalm chapter 1, that whatever he does, he prospers? He's like a tree firmly planted by the water. I want that. Amen? Don't you want that? You want to be a person who's always blessing others with God's word, with God's blessing, with his encouragement, with prayer. You want to always be this man, this woman, who's always a source of encouragement. God, make me this fruitful person. How do you do this? Rest in your assurance. Pursue these things, right? Or... Or you can live a forgetful life. And that's the next section. For he who lacks these qualities is blind. Or short-sighted, having forgotten his purifications from his former sins. What this is, is someone who doesn't set 
his time, her time, their agenda, their purpose in life to following the things of Christ. Other things are distracting. They're not seeking to change. They're not seeking to pursue with everything they got. They pursue other things with everything they got, but not Christ with everything they got. And the Bible says that kind of person who knows Christ and is saved, it's like a blind person or a short-sighted person. They don't even see what's beyond the horizon. They don't even see what's beyond the next hill. They're so focused on what's here and now. They're not seeing the way life really is. Their perspective is off. And so they live with a perspective that's off. Their here and now is their God. And the Bible says this, you have forgotten his purification from his former sins. And now this is what happens. And this is where the misery and the trouble comes. You forgot you were bought by a price. You forgot you were forgiven. And you sit there, you may sit there and there's some, have you ever met Christians who are just perennially, eternally, in perpetuity, grouchy? They come to church as if they drank pickle juice. The Bible says they forgot. The Bible says they're not pursuing as hard as they can. The Bible says they're not looking at the foundation that God has laid for them. The Bible says... They're not really serious with their walks. And sadly, I've seen people who are just not serious about their walks. They're serious about sports and video games. They're serious about their jobs. They're serious about their stock trading. They're serious about their nurseries or they're serious about their cooking. They're very serious about everything else. But their walk with Christ, which will give them joy. Are you giving all you got? Are you changing where you need to? Are you serious with your walk? And are you assured in Christ today? Today. You can be assured in Christ today. This speaks of the benefits. He says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling. And choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Let me unpack that if we can in the short time that we have. Now he uses this word diligent, which you already saw, correct? In the beginning. What was that? Verse 5, right? Applying all diligence. Same word. Now he's saying more diligence. Why? He's saying, it is so absolutely crucial for you to make certain about your calling and choosing or your salvation. How do you make certain about that? He already told you, you're pursuing these qualities. You're going as hard as you can. You're seeking after Christ with all that you are. You're changing where you need to. And he's saying this, you need to be diligent about this. He no, notice he says, make certain about his calling and his choosing of you. That verb is in the reflexive. It means... I am certain about my calling of me, my choosing of me. And here in this wonderful phrase, this is a phrase for you, saints. Practice these things. You will never stumble. Never. Wow, that's a big claim, Angelo. I, uh, I guess I want to say things like that and maybe not believe it fully. No. The Bible says, if you are pursuing the things of Christ with all that you are, 
and you're pursuing not just the theology of Christ, but the virtues of Christ. Pursuing that all based because you are your, you are, you yourself are saved. He says you can be fruitful, you can be faithful, you could be giving all you got, you could be changing, asking God to change your character, you could be serious as a heart attack about your walk with God. And God says, here's the blessing for you. You will never stumble. The stumble here, of course, is a metaphor for doubting, despairing, fearing. Whether or not you're saved. Whether or not you could enjoy your life in Christ. And then he says in verse 11, for in this way the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied. In all this, all he is saying is here, brothers and sisters, if you are walking with Christ, going as hard as you can, changing and being humble where you can, the Bible says you don't ever, ever have to live in doubt of your salvation ever again. Is that where you are? Is that where you are today? I hope you've been stoked and encouraged. Is that where you are today? Not, that's when I got saved when I was 10. But now I'm not so joyful. Really. Really. You, you became short-sighted. You forgot that you have been purified from your sins. Oh, brothers and sisters, walk out of this place today knowing you've been assured in Christ that you can be brave in whatever you face, that God has amply supplied you, and that at the end of this, we will see Christ face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Oh, we are so filled with Christ. We pray, Lord, you would do this work. Help us to sing. Help us to pray for one another. Help us to minister to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.